You are listening to the Moments in Marketing podcast and its host, Dima Mackey, where fellow traditional and digital marketers share their stories along the way. This is the place where we will dive deeper into some of the strategies, processes, and ways to excel in your digital career. We all know that success stories do not come easy and overnight, so we'll try to get to the bottoms of it. Whether you're looking for how to get into the digital marketing industry, or launch your own project, or just want to learn from someone's experience, this is a great place to be. Stay tuned and enjoy. All right, Andre, thanks again for joining me today to the Moments in Marketing podcast episode number two. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Timon. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about our conversation. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, Amazon store business, that the one you built. But yes, so kind of slowly to transition to the uh, questions. There are many ways to start uh, a conversation today, but I'll, I'll kick it off from the beginning. So I'm sure my sure. audience would love to learn more about yourself. Uh, so do you mind sharing a couple of details of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Andre Sadlak. I am an immigrant entrepreneur, uh, specifically e-commerce entrepreneur. So I love all things, uh, online brand building and selling physical products online. Uh, and uh, to give a little bit of recap, I've just sold my very first e-commerce business for half a million dollars. It was primarily Amazon FBA based business. Uh, and uh, I'm working on starting the next one. Cool. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned that you started Amazon brand brand product business. And uh, how did you learn about it and what was the key turning point for yourself? And maybe if you can go a little bit further and talk what you did before it, what was your what? How did your career look like before? Sure. Yeah, well, it's funny because it's not related to uh, e-commerce or marketing whatsoever. I used to Okay, I'll, I'll go way back to when I moved to Canada because I'm originally not from Canada. I'm originally from Ukraine. But when I moved to Canada in 2013, I uh, worked, I first studied, I studied international business. Uh, that's basically the easiest way to immigrate. <laughs> and then my first job was in logistics, but more specifically in, in luxury relocations. And then after that, I was always dreaming of living on the West Coast in Vancouver specifically. That was my goal. I didn't land quite in Vancouver right away, but I did find a job in uh, Kelowna, BC. The job was probably the best job I've ever had. It was in real estate development. Uh, I enjoyed the challenges, uh, but it is quite a traditional business. So you have to stay in the city, build the relationships, develop your uh, skills and uh, uh, expertise specifically in that location, in that area, uh, which I wouldn't say I really enjoyed because I wanted to be location dependent. I wanted to have that time freedom. Uh, and if you're in more traditional setting, uh, working nine to five office job, it's pretty hard to live that uh international freedom kind of lifestyle I see. and for me to make it happen I started looking for uh, people who have done it before and I found someone in my circle uh, who knew somebody else who was already selling on Amazon uh, and I, I got a chance to talk to them so that was the first real conversation that convinced me that it is possible it's real it's happening and here's what it takes you know so I was able to reach out to the person from time to time 
get some basic uh, questions answered and that led me through the research phase and landed my first products that I did launch on Amazon in late 2017. Uh, and three years later, I sold it for half a million. That's kind of my story in short. <laughs> yeah, long story short, right? But we'll, we'll try to decipher it a little bit more. But yeah, cool. Yeah. So it's, it was a complete, complete shift for you. And yeah, that's pretty remarkable, the result that you've achieved. And um, yeah, so uh, talking about your product, so can you tell us a little bit more what, what it is and how did you decide to go with this product? Like kind of from start to finish, how did you research it? And then mm -hmm. how did you actually develop it? And uh, yeah, kind of that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, my research wasn't very sophisticated back in the day, uh, but I did look at quite a few products, probably like hundreds of products, and I was always narrowing it down to the ones that made the most sense. So first of all, I was looking at some basics like demand, uh, competition, uh, just to see where there's opportunity uh, that, that, that I could come in, jump in and be different and still win. And one of those products, uh, one of the top three in my ranking at least, was the scratch-off map. Uh, and that's something I chose to uh, improve upon and launch as my own brand product. Definitely not my idea. Uh, somebody else came up with that before. I believe it was somebody in the UK, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but I did make my own design. I did develop it from, from the get, like my own design of the world map, my own design of the US map later on. Uh, and I manufactured it in Ukraine, uh, contrary to most of my competition, who's made in China. Uh, that's how I started. Uh, how I researched, uh, hard to explain, but I was I was basically looking at a few products that kind of made sense numbers-wise, so there was enough demand. It was fairly strong in terms of growing, uh, but and competition wasn't that crazy. Like number of reviews were not like through the sky, not like thousands of reviews yet. Uh, so I thought, oh, in these few spaces, I could make a difference. But when I looked at the map, I was like, oh, this is actually me. That's something I can do. That's something I can see improving uh, and making it much better than what's out there. Uh, and, and it's probably coming back to my design background. I, I, used, I studied architecture. Oh, nice. Uh, so I knew that, yeah, like I, I knew that design-wise I can make a much better product. Uh, and then since I'm quite a perfectionist quality-wise too, I spent probably seven to nine months about around that uh, to find the right manufacturer, someone I'd be proud uh, to work with and the, the results of the quality of the products would be something I wouldn't mind sharing with everybody I know, you know. And yeah, that, that was basically the goal, create the best freaking scratch-off map in the world. And I think I achieved that and that's probably why it did go well and I did have substantial margins throughout the time of extreme competition. Um, yeah. Yeah, I see. I've seen those a lot on Amazon scratch-off maps and yeah, I've seen yours and it looks actually amazing. Uh, it's just not an ad, mm -hmm. it's just my personal opinion. And yeah, actually going back a little bit about the research, you know, I'm also sort of working in this field and my background is mm -hmm. in data analytics and I work as an SEO supervisor now. Uh, so I'm just curious, were there any tools if I want to replicate your strategy that helped you to, you know, to look at the reviews, like average prices, maybe if you can oh, name, yes. name them and like talk a little bit Absolutely. more specifically about that process? Yeah, there are lots of tools that are super instrumental when you look at the numbers. And uh, what they do is um, 
they scrape the data from Amazon that you wouldn't see as a visitor. And specifically, you can see approximate numbers for sales. So you could see revenues per product uh, when you do keyword research. So let's say you look for scratch of map, you turn on that tool, it'll tell you like a list of products that are indexed and ranked for that keyword. Uh, in 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 the in whatever way you want, you can sort it. So for example, you can sort it by whoever sells the most dollars wise or whoever sells the most units wise or whoever has the most reviews. So that data is pretty helpful when you're researching your initial ideas because then you can see, oh, this is actually quite a big market or this market is dominated by top two sellers. So people are probably brand sensitive and they only mm -hmm. buy from these two major brands and everybody else doesn't do that well, right? So I used uh, a tool called I think back in the day I used viral launch, uh, viral launch. Uh, yeah, hard to explain why they call it that way, but <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, the other tool I used, and that's what I use right now, is Helium 10. Uh, they're similar. Uh, they give you pretty much the same data. Uh, it differs slightly, so I'm not sure who's more precise, but both of them claim that they are the most precise. So it's nice to have a couple of those just to compare. So you but can just cross-reference cross like the results exactly. and may make a yeah. better educated decision, right? Right, yeah, but they're still pretty close. I would even use one and be, be happy with the, with, the, with the preciseness. And do you need to pay for those tools? Are they expensive or...? Uh, yeah, I think for Helium 10, I pay like 100 bucks a month, something like that. Oh, wow. But it's a complete suite of tools that you use moving forward as well. So it gives you lots of data once you start selling. Uh, that is very helpful too. Like they can give us like profit numbers, uh, keyword research tools that you can always uh, work on because it's a constant work in progress if you want to improve. It, they they sure. pretty much give you everything you need. Cool, yeah, and now uh, talking a little bit more about the product and manufacturers. Uh, before you said that you went with a Ukrainian manufacturer, but I'm just curious, like a lot of people I've heard, they're, they're doing business with China. And did you have any yes. experience with, uh, uh, you know, trying to find a Chinese supplier and how did it go for you? I did. That's That was my initial plan. So I reached out to Chinese manufacturers first when I decided Scratch of Maps is going to be my spiel. And I received some samples that obviously you pay for samples, but when, once I received the samples, I was not very happy. And I was coming back and forth with them, trying to improve it, requesting more samples, but it was still not at the level I wanted. And also the biggest challenge I had with them was not only quality, but some something that, that's touchy for some people. Chinese said that I need to change my design for the world map and uh, show Taiwan, Hong Kong as hmm. Chinese, and also outline that, I think it's South Chinese Sea, uh, with huge lines showing everyone who looks at my map that this is actually China. Uh, I wasn't 100% sold on that because I looked at the United Nations maps and they didn't show it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I know there's a lot of controversy, controversy around those areas. So at that point, I started thinking about making that product in different in a different country because when I looked at my competition uh, mm -hmm. available on Amazon at that time, everybody was making it in China and adjusting their design the way these manufacturers requested. And that's uh, pretty much how I ended up with Ukraine, my home country, as a manufacturer. I basically reached out to my contacts because there's no such thing as Alibaba.com or something like that for Ukraine or anyone else. Uh, and I found someone who's making these maps in Ukraine. Uh, I looked at the quality, I was impressed. 
compared to everything I've seen in China was like very well done. And they use a different technology, which I find much more premium. Um, and they were able to make the design I needed, no adjustments. So I was basically able to claim on my listings that I'm the only United Nations compliant map design, which I think helps a lot. <laughs> wow, that's, that's interesting to know. Uh, is it fair to say that it's one of the key differentiating points that you had against the competition or were there any others? I think so. Yeah, I, I believe that it's one of the key differentiation uh, points I had. The other one was quality, like the, the poster was much thicker. Um, paper itself, like all the materials are from Europe, like Belgium, mm -hmm. France, Switzerland, Sweden. Uh, so the, the only thing is, is they put everything together in Ukraine, which also is a good thing because generally speaking, they care about quality. Um, yeah, I, I was saying, hey, it's made in, Euro in Europe, it's United Nations compliant, and the images themselves showed how great it is design-wise and quality-wise. So I feel like all of these things together um, made it possible for me to sell the product for more than everybody else. Awesome. And yeah, I think you mentioned also that you, you have a design background and you worked from seven to nine months, if I'm not mistaken, to develop a design. So actually, did you yeah. do it yourself or can you outsource it? Did you have anyone like helping you with the design and another question would be mm -hmm. uh, did you go actually to Ukraine to see the manufacturing facilities or or did you manage it from, from Canada overseas I yeah I managed everything from Canada I had a nine-to-five job for mm -hmm. the first like one and a half years so everything was done uh, in my free time uh, so all the time I had outside of, of that demanding work that I that I was doing but to answer the first question, uh, I was overseeing the design process, mm -hmm. uh, so I was the mastermind behind it, but I would hire people uh, for different sections of the work. I think in total I had about, I think, f to be fair, like five people involved mm -hmm. in the design of my maps, both world map and US map. Um, and there are Just in the designs, right? Yes, just in the designs. So someone would be a graphic designer, someone would be a cartographer, someone would be a new graphic designer, someone would be more like illustrator with their own view on the design that would make some improvements too. And we're talking about so like such a, a detail-oriented work. There's some things that if I start talking about them, that it'll take like hours to explain mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. it's so, so much better. Uh, so nobody really cares, but I know that I put so much attention to detail to every little thing to like every flag every city every outline every state because uh, even the design itself i feel like is made to cater travelers mm -hmm. uh, in the best possible way so the map itself is built specifically to make it easy and enjoyable for you to scratch off where you've been but generally speaking even from my experience like with any other product that I buy or use, it's like the details that what matter, right? So it's really, yes. you, you can feel this touch when you buy a product and it's like perfect and you enjoy using it and you you probably don't think about like a lot of stuff, yeah, like what, what did what did go in the background of creating it, but you, you know, somehow like subconsciously you feel it that that product yeah. was created with love and I kind of feel that something that you were doing along the way, right? Yeah, it's just like I'm looking at a MacBook Pro. I know that if I open it up, yeah. just, there's, like I need to fix something, it's beautiful inside too. Yeah, <laughs> that the same feeling I have the moment I switched from Windows back, I don't know, four years ago to MacBook. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a totally different story. Right. And yeah, we just touched a little bit about like the people around you and who, who was helping you. 
along the way. Mm. And I know, uh, like, kind of research you a little bit, right? And you have an Amazon brand store, you have your website, you have um, social media. And uh, yeah, I'm just curious, like, did you have any help with that? And how, how did you manage all those channels? And how did they contribute into your overall business, sort of? Right. Yeah, there's something I've done that most Amazon sellers don't do. Uh, it's, I would call it community building. Uh, so I created a Facebook group for travelers and I created it before I had the product. So once I decided, oh, this is going to be my direction right now, it's a map, but I'm going to be about traveling somehow. I created this Facebook group. I called it Traveling Civilization, which kind of rhymes with the name of the actual brand, Travelization. Uh, and I invited all my friends that I knew uh, who loved traveling. And everyone I met, if I, I could see from their conversation, they enjoy traveling, they're explorers, global citizens, whatever, same values, I would invite them too. And I was also part of other communities uh, online uh, related to traveling and being a global citizen in all regards. And I'd make friends online that way, um, add them as a friend on Facebook, invite them to the group. So it took me some time to build that initial uh, probably a few hundred people uh, before I started talking about the idea of launching that product. Mm -hmm. And I already started working on it. So I think I built that launch platform for myself that was very helpful. I could get their opinion on stuff. I could ask them, hey, do you like this or this better? Like I'm, I was working on, on map designs and I knew that, oh, someone's selling them in black color, someone selling them in more traditional like blue color because the ocean is blue, which I didn't really buy myself and someone selling them in more classic way, just white, you know, very clean, minimalist. And I personally really like the white background. And mm -hmm. that's why the map I have in my office is the white background. But I did a poll in that Facebook group and people voted, like most of them voted that they would enjoy having the black one. So that was very helpful because later on I did launch the black one first and I'm happy that I did. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have made it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so that, that was helpful. And also Instagram, I created that Instagram page for the uh, for the community. I created a Pinterest page because it's home decor item. You better be on Pinterest. There's a lot of traffic. True. It's quite an underutilized tool. Um, and what else did I have? Oh, I was collecting emails from my website uh, so outside of amazon also have that website uh, and i would send some people from my community there uh, i would write blogs uh, my wife would help me from time to time to write blogs because we knew that it takes a lot of time to create seo optimized uh, web resource and slowly but surely i was collecting some emails from people who were into this business and later when i started selling people who bought from me before so yeah i feel like it's a snowball effect and it's important if you want to build a proper brand and not just take advantage of one um, marketplace mm -hmm. and fully depend on it right so yeah it's it's really interesting how you in the early steps of the project you created the group and uh, you sort of used it as a data source to make like better informed decisions like by listening yeah. by listening to uh people interested in like you know in this topic theme and uh, gather influential feedback i guess that uh, informed your uh right. business decisions and yeah now we're talking we talk about your website social strategy and uh Actually, uh, I think really important part is the investments uh, of this project, right? So can you maybe talk a little bit more about numbers? So let, let's say how much money did you need to create the first prototypes or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, any suggestion to in you, a person that wants to enter uh, and build some like simple Amazon product, uh, what, what would that look like? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a very popular question. People ask, how much money do you need to start on Amazon? It's hard because it's niche specific. So it's it, it's hard to, to guess, but you can calculate it. Uh, basically, you can look at the sales of uh, that product you decide to launch. Uh, so let's say you use Helium 10 or Viral Launch or any of these tools. There are so many different tools that can give you the same data. And you can see how many units on average people sell, uh, mm-hmm. people who are on page one, for example, sell. Uh, and you're like, okay, if I'm targeting to be there, uh, I'll be selling at least an average if I'm launching aggressively. Uh, so I need two and a half to three months worth of inventory. So you can calculate that. So you go back to the manufacturer, you get the quote, you look at how much uh, you're going to pay for one unit, multiply by the number of units for three months supply, and that's your inventory investment. Mm -hmm. Then you also need to uh, set aside some money for um, advertising. So some people do giveaways, so they would give products for free for people to, uh, for for two reasons. One, if you make them use the right link or do the search find buy method, so search on Amazon for the right keywords, uh, find your product, put it in cart and buy it, then Amazon sees that as, um, uh, how do I explain it? It helps with ranking. So Amazon sees that, oh, if mm-hmm. someone's looking for scratch of map, they end up buying travelization, then whoever else is searching for scratch of map, we better show travelization higher up because it's relevant, right? And the other reason some people do giveaways, uh, which also costs money and adds to your budget, is uh, for review collection. And mm-hmm. nowadays you can't incentivize reviews, so you can't say, hey, I'll give you this product for free, you leave review, Amazon can suspend you for that if they find it out. Uh, but what my network usually does, they give away products through some online marketing channels, uh, and they ask people at the end, how do you like it? And if people say, oh, I love it, uh, here's what I would improve, or it's just perfect, they ask them at that point, would you mind submitting this as a review? So that way I feel it's clean because you're mm-hmm. not really making it a condition that you need to submit a review. And a lot of people are willing to help small businesses with a review if they really like the product. So in my case, to answer your question uh, about numbers, I think I launched with about 10 grand overall. Uh, my first order was 1,000 units, and I think the cost of product was about $6 or something like that, uh, plus shipping. So shipping is, I don't know, at that point, I think I paid like two grand or something like that, maybe one and a half. For shipping? Um, yeah. Oh. Uh, and I, I shipped part of it air and part of it sea. Uh, sea is much cheaper, probably like one third of air price. Uh, depending on the time, too, it's seasonal. Like Q4 is usually more expensive. Uh, so if you're shipping in November, or December, it's going to be more expensive than if you're shipping in February, March, April, because uh, there's much more demand mm-hmm. and freight forwarders take advantage of that. Um, what are the costs out there? Oh, and there's PPC. So another part of the launching process is using Amazon's advertising engine, which is uh, somehow similar to Google. I think that's how they started. They pretty much replicated it, uh, the Google search uh, and PPC system, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's now its own beast it, like they added so many different features that google doesn't have so if you want to launch successfully i'd recommend uh going into ppc aggressively so finding um well there are two ways to do it but 
before I get into too much details, it's manual or automatic campaign. Usually I would start with automatic campaign and then based mm -hmm. on the data I collect from it, I would create some manual campaigns to help pay-per-click advertising within Amazon uh, when I just launch. And as soon as you have a few reviews, then PPC becomes much more profitable as people see a little bit of social proof there. Mm -hmm and uh, they are more willing to buy a product with a few reviews when they see that ad. And yeah, no, oh, another important point before I forgot, uh, so people don't feel like you need to give away products to receive reviews. There's also, there are also two ways through Amazon itself to collect some reviews. Hmm. One is called early reviewer program. So you can basically check off uh, it, within Amazon that you are happy to give away some products uh, I think there's a limited number depending on the product to people who want to submit a review and those people are kind of pre-vetted by Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon knows that these people are fair based on whatever stats they collect and you as a buyer may qualify for that too. So you may buy a product in order to submit a review and if you submit a review you get the refund from Amazon. So they basically created that system that sellers have been doing for a while, legalized it, you know. Um, and they know that these uh, buyers, that these customers of Amazon are fair when they submit those mm -hmm. reviews. So that's one. And there's another program called Wine. And Wine is very similar. Uh, I, I don't even remember what the main difference is, but with Wine, uh, you can, I think, have a little, like a few more reviews. So that way you can collect probably extra 10 to 20 reviews or so, usually from my experience, uh, that have that extra mark that it's kind of, confirmed by Amazon that these reviews are fair. So that helps too. I would definitely recommend doing that in the beginning because reviews matter a lot. So it's like if uh, I actually it's an interesting I, I never heard about those two. So it's like an uh, inside system built in Amazon for you know kind of to uh, improve the reviewing capabilities for brands. Is that correct? My understanding is correct? Pretty much. Yeah, cool. Amazon recognized it that it's hard to launch something if it's a new product. How do you collect reviews? And since they, they notice that there's a trend that uh, brands are incentivizing reviews, which is against terms of service. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, how do we make them, like, how do we give them what they need to, mm -hmm. by yeah. making it legal and Got benefit it. from it? Because you pay Amazon for that. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, Amazon like loves to make money, don't they? Uh, yeah. Everybody does. Uh, <laughs> and in terms of... Um, uh, channels, right? So, uh, what are the main sales drivers? So, I would assume it is Amazon itself because people started uh, searching on Amazon and it's pretty clear. Uh, the search intent is pretty clear. They're looking to buy mm -hmm. something, right? Uh, but in terms of uh, while you're building the brand, SEO and paid ads, how did they play? Uh, I guess you had some sort of like internal Amazon uh, tracking system where you see how people are landing on your products and how they interact with your products. So do you know the breakdown? What was the breakdown of uh, organic search on Amazon and paid ads? It all depends case by case. So it's uh, Amazon is definitely a keywords game and there are methods to research products, basically simply looking by key uh, on keywords only. Um, and yeah, there are ways to to export some reports. Uh, there are business reports within the Amazon Seller Central that you can export and you can look at conversion, you can look at uh, number of sessions and stuff like that. So it gives you a good idea of which uh, products perform best, which variations perform best, which of, of, of your own basically, um, which, uh, uh, but yeah, when you export some reports on PPC, so Amazon pay-per-click, you can see which keywords work best, but uh, most of these reports are not very user-friendly. 
Uh, mm -hmm. So what I usually use is a tool like Helium 10, the one that I mentioned for product research, mm -hmm. uh, to export some information on the keywords. I can also export some basic information from my competition, for example, and compare my keyword performance to them, how I index, how I rank compared to others in my category. So I can, let's say, pick top five and put myself right next to them and see how well I, uh, I perform in certain keywords. And there's some keywords that you just kind of have to target, even though they may be super competitive, but they give you the most ranking juice. And there are some underutilized opportunities. Always, you can find some long uh, tail keywords mm -hmm. that you better qualify for because they're the most profitable, basically. So looking at all of the data from Helium 10 and from Amazon reports, you can decide how to adjust your pay-per-click and how to optimize your listing. Because, for example, title matters a lot. What keywords you put in the title of your listing uh, determines how well you rank, index and rank for those keywords. Same with bullet points and description. So you can look at both your um, Amazon reports and something like Helium 10 that gives you uh, your competitive edge, where you do well, where you would need improvements. And based on that, you can put in the right keywords uh, on the front end and also on the back end. That's something I forgot to mention. There's mm -hmm. also a way to put some keywords on the back end of the listing. So basically, like misspellings and any other relevant keywords that just don't fit in the context of, of the listing uh, or maybe not as relevant to describe the product but but are relevant, you can also put them back uh, in, on the back of, of the listing so it indexes for them. Gotcha. Well, actually, you stole my next question about optimizing the uh, actual pro uh, actually product listing and I, I just want to mm -hmm. talk about the parts that you can touch and optimize. I think it's called in Amazon A plus content, uh, correct me if, I, yeah. if I'm wrong. So uh, uh, how, how, how does it look like from uh, uh, from your perspective, from a person who optimizes it, like you log into to that system because I myself never done it before but I kind of you know know the idea how it's done based on like what I do in SEO world like kind of similar stuff mm -hmm. optimizing images title tags meta descriptions headings so uh, did you do it yourself uh, uh, and what uh, what are the main uh, parts that you need to optimize and how would you optimize right. them yeah so keywords is one part of op ways like one way of optimizing the listing one part of the game and the other important thing that some sellers miss is the visual appeal mm -hmm. and obviously with products you buy online you can't touch them you can't smell them you can't try them on uh, you have to trust that it's good for you based on the visuals you see right whether it's image or video and amazon does give you opportunity to show your products in the best possible way they do have some requirements for example the main image only has to be white background and stuff like that um, and like you're limited by the number of images like it's 10 images uh, but they, i feel like they still give you enough tools to showcase your product in the best possible way uh, to talk about your benefits all the features right and one of the things that you can stand out with is what you mentioned that's called A-plus content. It used to be called EBC, Enhanced Brand Content. And those uh, extra visual uh, features are only available for brand-registered uh, brands. So mm -hmm. for you to be brand-registered, you have to own the trademark. So in my case, I had to file uh, a trademark for travelization uh, that I 
owned up until recently and I had to transfer it with the business because that's one of the assets. So when you own a trademark, you can apply for brand registry with Amazon. There's also some way to streamline that process because usually it takes like four, four to six months if you do it within the US system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to get it done sooner, Amazon pre-vetted some uh, IP lawyers and you can go through them and Amazon just knows if they do it, it's going to be approved in the future. So within a couple of weeks of you going through that pre-vetted resource, you have the brand registry done right away. So if you need to fast forward that process, you pay a little extra, you can get it done sooner. And once you have that brand registry, then you can do stuff like A plus content, uh, a store, like storefront on Amazon. For me, it was like amazon.com slash travelization. And you could see all of my products. It looks pretty nice, just like a website, you know, good landing page, different sections of your products, different images and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, they're always improving that, which I do appreciate as a brand builder. Uh, you can make your brand stand out in many ways. And A plus content is basically an extra section in your listing instead of having a written description, just in text describing the product, the use and all the features and benefits, all the dimensions, uh, you can make it visual. You can show it the way you would show it on your website, basically. So you can show people using it. You can talk about, um, benefits of your specific variation, for example. Uh, so graphic design is very important there. Uh, hiring someone who knows how to do it is important. In my case, I hired photographers, uh, mm-hmm. but I put it all together myself. I did have basic knowledge, uh, Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, so programs like that. Uh, so that helps. But images themselves, I did hire someone to take really nice professional pictures. Got it. Yeah, that's thanks for such an extended answer. And now is my understanding correct? So if you don't like register your brand brand with a trademark, you're not able mm-hmm. to uh, to alter your listings and to update those titles and descriptions. So how, how does it work that if you don't no, register? Yeah, you can update your listing, you can update your title images, mm-hmm. like everything because listings, Amazon is built in a, in a, in a weird way. L- listings don't belong to you. They're public domain. Mm-hmm. You can if you have the same product, you can join as a seller, generally speaking, unless the the one who uh, owns the brand claims that they own it through Amazon, then they're more protected. Okay. And that's one of the challenges I had in the beginning while I was waiting for the trademark approval and brand registry approval. Somebody just jumped in as a seller claiming that they have the same product, which I know they don't, right? Because I'm the only one who created the product and I know that my, my manufacturer doesn't sell it to anyone else, right? I own it. But because I didn't have that brand registry yet, somebody was able to say, hey, I actually do have the same product. So let me sell it. And Amazon doesn't even check. So they, they basically started selling your product. And if you don't have that trademark registered, anyone can sell your product, right? Right. And wow. the thing is, even if they don't they don't have my product to sell, mm-hmm. they can still say that they do. And Amazon doesn't check it in advance. Amazon will only look at that case if people start buying and complaining about it. Oh, it, it doesn't meet the description. It doesn't look the same. You know, okay. that was my case. Uh, and... Yeah, so I definitely encourage people who want to launch on Amazon to look at the brand registry as soon as possible because it does protect you. It doesn't mean that if you have the brand registry, nobody can jump in and uh, compete on the buy box with you, uh, but uh, it's easy to remove them. You just file a simple form through Amazon system and Amazon removes somebody else because you own the brand, you know whether they buy from you or not, stuff like that, right? Got it. Well, that, that's convenient, actually. Uh, good, good for that they have this uh, system built. 
And right. uh, yeah, I just want, uh, again, we're stuck a little bit with Amazon, but I think it's really important to go through the specifics. Uh, so how would you describe your personal relationship with Amazon? And uh, uh, again, talking numbers here, like about the commissions. And uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I didn't ask you this question. Did you use FBA? And uh, uh, yeah, basically your experience like was uh, working with FBA commissions, um, pluses, minuses and what if there are any other options for sure uh, i think it's an important question i personally have love hate relationship with amazon because i feel like it's the easiest platform to launch if you don't have very much marketing experience like you're, you're not that experienced with bringing your own traffic to your website so amazon is a great resource uh for cheap or even uh free traffic sometimes there's a lot of organic traffic that you don't even have to pay for uh yet Amazon does two things um, that I don't like and most sellers don't like. One, they treat uh, customers of Amazon as their own customers, not your brand customers. If somebody buys my map, in my case, or my frame, because I have it's not just maps, I have frames as well. <laughs> if somebody buys one of my products, uh, it's not in the eyes of Amazon, it's not my customer. So they don't share any data. Uh, for customers, it they believe it's convenient because they protect their privacy mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but for brand builders, it's quite a struggle because how do you retarget people? How do you serve them better? How do you collect that feedback from people? If somebody submits a review, for example, there's no way you can reach out to them. So yeah, that, right. that's frustrating. Uh, and also the other thing is you're treated like, uh, how do I say this properly? <laughs> you as a seller, you're not treated uh -huh. well. Uh, Amazon doesn't really care that much about sellers. They say they do, but they really don't. Uh, I feel like they they're some re revelation here. <laughs> yeah, so their seller support is like I feel like they, when they hire people for customer support, they put the best talent into customer support and the worst talent for seller support. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's super hard to deal with Amazon. Uh, it, virtually impossible to solve something within one call or one email. Uh, the, even the simplest things. And very often, since they're heavily AI-based, their AI mechanism makes some assumptions, makes some decisions uh, on your behalf, obviously. They can suspend your listing. They can change something in your listing. And you, you don't know why. You don't understand. And you're trying to communicate it back saying, hey, you did some changes for me, which you shouldn't have done. And here's why. And it's very clear. It's very clean in your opinion. Like you're explaining everything properly. And it takes forever to them to fix it. Because it's done automatically by the, by the big machine, right? Mm -hmm. So those things are frustrating. Positives, though, um, as I said, if you don't have that much experience bringing your own traffic to your own website, Amazon is easy. Like you just turn on automatic campaign, you have the ads on, right, in the beginning. And if you do launch something that's in demand, uh, most likely you have some sales without you even knowing where they come from. So that's pretty cool. And if you if you don't break any rules of service, like terms of service uh, on Amazon, you do everything by the book. Uh, it's a pretty stable uh, and predictable business model. You can see the effects of every action you do. Like you can split test images, you can split test titles, you can improve your listing, for example, and you can see, okay, now I sell more. Uh, so it's it's easy to play with. Like it's a big uh, game, in my opinion. Uh, you can game the system in ways. Sometimes people do it within the rules. Sometimes people do this outside of the rules of Amazon, but you kind of learn how it works eventually and it makes it easy. It makes it like a like like really like a game. Um, 
That's a good way. Same to, time, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's to me it's just a game. But if if you're thinking about long-term uh, brand building uh, kind of uh, activity, like you want to build a real brand, you want that to be valuable outside of Amazon, then I'd say don't focus only on that one platform. There are many other ones, and also there's a way to build your own website. And even if you only know Amazon in the beginning, I'd encourage you to build that brand outside of it and bring some traffic to your website, collect some emails, build that community on social media. Right. So if something does happen, and it will happen with Amazon, then you're not done. Like your, your business doesn't end one day. Because for some people it did. They were fully dependent on Amazon. I know them personally, and their business was suppressed for whatever reasons, like they couldn't relaunch because they broke some rules. Sometimes they don't even know which rules. So it does become hard sometimes when you deal with Amazon. Did you have, actually, uh, did you have any mishaps with Amazon, like uh, being your product delisted or anything like that? Or it's just oh, yeah. that, oh yeah, oh, okay. So yeah. what was it and how did you deal with it? One was in November 2019, I believe. So December 2019 was the best months I've had before I sold the business. But November 2019, and it's Q4, so it's a, it's it's a high gift season. product. It's high season. I need to be in stock. But in November, they just, I think it's called suspended. They suspended my two major variations, so my main listing. Uh, no explanation, just like generic copy-paste thing that, oh, you must have broken one of these rules. And there's a huge list of uh, rules that could have, could have broken. So I go, go back to them saying, hey, can you please clarify what happened? Which rule did I break? I'm happy to fix this. You know, takes forever for them to respond. Another copy-paste response. And like, it's a never-ending conversation. And November is huge. Like every day I'm losing thousands of dollars in sales, right? Wow. Uh, so I had to hire someone who knew how to approach Amazon properly, uh, which is weird that they built a, an entire ecosystem. There's some Amazon lawyers now, right? <laughs> they pay them, they reach out to, to, to Amazon through the right emails, explain the case, basically agreed that we broke some rules, which I to this day have no exact idea what, what was it. Uh, but I kind of guessed that it was me promising lifetime warranty to my customers. Again, Amazon treats them as their customers. And uh, I still see some of my competition uh, saying that, that they promise lifetime warranty. But somehow Amazon decided that my specific brand should not talk about it, um, I think. And the reason I assume that's the case is as soon as I changed one of the images that talked about it, and I changed uh, one of the bullet points in the description mm -hmm. that I have that offering that I promise lifetime warranty uh, and submitted another email request to review my case. Uh, a day later, they did reinstate the listings and I started selling again. But in two weeks that I was basically closed, I didn't exist. Mm -hmm. If you go to my links, there's like this dog page. Amazon sellers know what it is. It's just a dog saying, oops, there's no page like that. Uh, so that time was lost, like no ranking, no sales history, nothing. And in high season, it's critical. So to me, it was quite an expensive hiccup on Amazon side. And again, they didn't even say this was the, the, the issue. They were like, oh, try to guess, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that, that must be frustrating, right? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And again, the, as with SEO, like sort of jumping in here, it's like kind of the same. We're not playing on our, uh, you know, field. So basically we're super, right. de super dependent on any algorithm updates, AI improvements, and uh, basically changing the rules. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy to hear that the, your products were 
list it again and you solved it just out of curiosity like maybe it will be useful for someone how much will it cost to hire an amazon lawyer and uh, yeah just any rough idea i mean sure you, you know it <laughs> yeah just... yeah i think i paid a thousand bucks for that but i think i got quite a deal actually so usually it would probably cost more and it also depends on the severity of the situation sometimes sellers reach out to lawyers like that because their entire account was suspended. For example, they may have been given away products in exchange for reviews, which is a big no-no. And mm -hmm. if Amazon finds out somehow, and it's oh. just as easy if one of the buyers reporting you, uh, then your entire account can be suspended. You're pretty much done. And if your entire business is on Amazon, it's done. That's you know? it, yeah. <laughs> and you're willing to pay whatever you, you have left in your bank account <laughs> to Amazon lawyers to reinstate it. And it doesn't always end up successfully, but uh, it, it may. So these lawyers usually know which buttons to push to make it happen. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, I kind of noticed we, we still have one question unanswered. So just to close it off with Amazon and all this uh, stuff mm -hmm. in your relationship with that, about the commissions and FBA, uh, how, oh, like, right. what are the commissions and how did FBA work out for you and are there any other alternatives that you might have used right. to uh, support your business? Yeah, so first I'll explain what FBA is. FBA is, uh, it stands for Fulfillment by Amazon. So if you use FBA, uh, which I think made Amazon a big thing in the first place, then all you need to do as a business owner is send inventory to Amazon warehouses, wherever it's coming from. In my case, it was Ukraine and China, frames from China, maps from Ukraine. So let's say if you ship stuff from China, your job is to send the right quantity of units, uh, to Amazon warehouses. From mm -hmm. there, as soon as somebody buys from your listings, Amazon takes care of fulfillment. So they deliver it to the door of your customer. So that's called fulfillment by Amazon. And you pay for that. And you also pay for the ability to sell on the Amazon marketplace. So there are two charges. And they, they like, it's pretty complicated to calculate. It's not like, oh, it's 15% for everybody or 30% for everybody. It all depends on specific category, um, specific sizes both mm -hmm. weight and dimension um, it's a yeah they have a very complicated spreadsheet that i don't even look at i know that with this product i pay this much that's all i care about and they have this fba calculator so if you're curious what it's going to be you can just uh, go to google fba calculator find that link uh, and there's such a thing you need to fill out asin asin is basically a unique code for every product so find one of the products on amazon that's the most similar to what you're trying to sell Put it into that FBA calculator, uh, put in the, the price that you intend to sell it for and the cost of goods and everything. And that FBA calculator will tell you how much you'll be paying in the FBA fee and Amazon selling fee. And you'll know what a margin is. So you kind of have that calculator to plan in advance if you need to. So in my case, I think because the tube was pretty large, like it's a, it's a long map, it's an extra large size. Uh, I think it was like, what, like, 25 inches long um, because of that thing it was considered to be um, I don't remember the name of the tier but like oversize of a kind uh, there are lots of different tiers there so they uh, they charged me about 14 to 15 dollars in total in all the fees I paid to Amazon and the price point which also affects the calculation was 30 dollars for that map so from $30, half of that goes to Amazon, basically, in my case. Sometimes you can sell something very small. Obviously, you'll pay less for all the fulfillment fees, storage fees. So in that case, it may cost $30. You'll be paying 
$8 in dollar fees, you know? So it all depends on what exactly you're selling. But I feel like it's worth it because if I compare it to some 3PL services or so third-party logistic services mm-hmm. that can do the other way of fulfillment, fulfilled by merchant, FBM, then they usually charge a little more than Amazon would. Uh, so okay, so are, 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 are you saying Amazon is still like the go-to because it's cheaper and it's uh, actually fulfilled by Amazon? If you sell on Amazon, yes, you want to use FBA. And another reason for that is marketing uh, side of things. So if you do FBM, you qualify for Prime, Amazon Prime. And Amazon prioritizes listings that qualify for Prime. So even in the search results, you show up higher if you do sign up for FBM. So if you sell on Amazon, definitely take advantage of that. It's cheaper. Uh, it it can be confusing. Sometimes Amazon loses inventory. There are all kinds of things that can, can go wrong. But overall, I think the value is there. It's worth using FBA. Gotcha. Well, I think now we conclude the Amazon part. Uh, I just want to go back a little bit in terms of uh, learning curve. So uh, I think it's it's going to be really useful for someone who listens to us. So let's let's uh, create a small case study right right off the bat. So you're the ex- sure. you're the expert <laughs> of uh, Amazon business and uh, yeah, like from the beginning to the end. Like if someone doesn't have a person to talk to or like any friends like doing that business. Where would you go to learn? Uh, I'm sure like you can Google a lot, but maybe you know any specific good uh, websites that, uh, you know, cover everything from like where to start, how to select a nation, where you can, you know, kind of read, learn, watch YouTube videos, whatever, and, uh, right. you know, gain that necessary knowledge. Yeah, quite a big question because I feel like it depends on your personality. Some people like figuring out things themselves and make their own mistakes. Some people enjoy being within a structure uh, and following somebody's footsteps uh, to do whatever is proven to be working. Um, I did a little bit of both. Uh, when I did start, I, as I mentioned, I had someone I could ask questions, but it wasn't like talking to them every day. It was like maybe once every couple of weeks. So most of the things I was still researching myself through the means of YouTube and Google and Facebook groups. I feel like Facebook groups are pretty helpful, helpful um, specifically for Amazon sellers. Um, but if you want to uh, just get a course and follow the step-by-step system that someone's built for you, there's so many of these courses. And uh, I'm fairly well connected in the space, so I know some people personally, and I know whether they are BS or they know what they're doing and what they're talking about. So feel free to reach out to me to ask for recommendations there, but I I wouldn't like to put some names out there right here because it it might be unfair. There's so many people I know. And I feel like it's also important to find the right fit if you're looking for a course. It has to be the personality fit, someone you enjoy learning from. So yeah, if somebody needs feel free to ask me. Um, I'm happy to connect with those people and send you links to those courses. Uh, but sure. if you don't want to pay for a course, all the information is out there. You can find it, like, let's say on YouTube, right? It may not be as structured, uh, but you can still put the puzzle together if you have extra time and you, you're willing to put the extra efforts. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, those tools that I mentioned, like there's Fire Launch, Helium 10, I think the other one is Jungle Scout. And there are so many other ones that are a little smaller uh, in, in, in their market cap uh, that will do product research. Like they will extract product research numbers for you so you can estimate the opportunity that way. Uh, and also uh, Facebook groups, if you join, you ask questions from time to time. There are lots of Amazon FBA related uh, entrepreneurship groups. I have one. 
it's more like general entrepreneurship groups and not only for Amazon sellers, but most of them are, because most of my friends are e-commerce entrepreneurs. So yeah, both ways work. Got it. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, yeah, it depends. If you want to pay for a course, definitely you can find a course. If you want to spend a little bit more time and figure it out yourself and, you know, connect all the dots by yourself, it's all there. So yeah, just uh, shoot us a message or just go ahead and Google it. If you want to learn more, we'll be sure to help. And yeah, as, as I said, a little quick case study, you know, it's uh, it doesn't need to be super uh you know complicated just roughly like if if we want to if a person wants to create a sweatshot let's say with mm -hmm. print printed cats different types of cats and uh, uh we want to order thousand sweatshots from china or ukraine uh, again what mm -hmm. would be i mean rough estimation of doing that and uh, again just go in this cycle like step one step two step three right um, well, first of all, I should mention there's such a thing called Amazon Merch, I believe. Uh, so with, with Amazon Merch, you can print on demand through the means of Amazon. So all you need to do is upload a design. Uh, I know they do uh, hoodies, they do t-shirts, um, maybe some other things, maybe hats. So basically, if you have that unique design, you own it, uh, you can create a listing without having the actual goods. And if somebody orders at that point, Amazon prints it on whatever standard stock they have and ships it to the customer. Some people make money that way. I never tried it. That's why I don't even know if it's Merch by Amazon. I think it's Amazon Merch. So if you Google, you'll, 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 you'll find it. But um, if you do have something unique, let's say it has that unique design of, of the sweatshirt itself, mm -hmm. uh, you just want it to be a, a regular product, just like a water bottle. Um, first of all, I would use one of these tools that I mentioned. So for example, Helium 10, you open that uh, web app or you just use it when you go to Amazon. So you go to Amazon, you search for the right keyword that would describe your product in the closest possible way. Uh, and you look at the opportunity and there you can see how uh, big demand there is. So you can see how much in sales the entire page one has made. Uh, in the last 30 days, for example, then you're like, okay, it's it's quite a big pie. If I have 1% of this, I'll be happy. You know, even if I don't do well, it's okay-ish. Because sometimes mm -hmm. you look at it, you're like, oh, it's 100K. Everybody who sells on page one in total sells 100K. So on average, one product sells for like $1,000 a month. Uh, in my opinion, it's not worth my time. Uh, so I try to look for opportunities where there's at least a million. So that's one thing that I look at. And then also I look at uh, reviews. If uh, they have a lot of reviews, um, then it's harder to launch because eventually it matters. Look, people look at social proof. If somebody has 10,000 views and you have one, even if yours looks a little better and there's something you believe is better about the product, it's hard to convince people to go with something so new, so fresh and so unconfirmed by the general public that it's worth their risk, right? Uh, so I'd say... Uh, yeah, look at the competitiveness, look at the demand, uh, look at um, margins too. So use that FBA calculator that I mentioned uh, and look at the closest product you see that looks very similar to yours on Amazon to calculate whether there's margin. If you see that the margin is at least a 30%, that's at least my target, then it's probably worth trying. Uh, I try to look for like 40% or more, ideally, because there's so many unforeseen expenses with physical product businesses, storage fees, shipping fees. Uh, something goes wrong with with whatever, shipping delayed. You ship air, 
because you need to rush it in, then there's an extra expense. Uh, also, quality insure, uh, quality inspection service, another expense. Maybe you need to launch a little more aggressively because by the time you launch, somebody else launched and it's more competition now, you know. So I would say the higher the margin, the safer it is for you to make it work. Um, what else I would look at? No, sometimes you can find really good ideas outside of Amazon. So if you're looking at something design um, uh, impacted, so design matters in your product, those niches I really like working with, um, maybe because I'm fairly confident with the ability of creating a better design, uh, but I think it's it's a great differentiation. And you can split test your product design in advance to creating it and launching it. That's what I'm trying to do every time I either launch or consult someone on their products. Uh, so I would go to places like, um, if it's a home decor item, I'd go to Pinterest or Etsy. Uh, or if it's it can be handmade, Etsy is a great resource overall. doesn't only have to be home decor. And I look at products uh, that people like there. So whether it's a lot of reviews or in, on Pinterest, it's a lot of pins. Uh, I'm like, oh, I found something very often that is popular on those platforms and there's nothing like that on Amazon. So to me, it's already a proof of concept. I can launch it and there's very high likelihood that people will enjoy that design. They'll buy it from me. Even if I have five reviews, somebody else has 500 reviews, my design may be so much better that people wouldn't mind having that little social proof, right? Um, or there's another resource that I like um, that's called PickFu. I think it's P-I-C-K. I think it's .fu, so PicFu, if you just Google PicFu product feedback, I think you'll be able to find it. Uh, so what you can do there is, um, it's a paid platform, so let's say you have three product design options. You upload mm -hmm. three images. Uh, if price differs based on the design, you can also add that price point, and you can simply ask your target audience, you pre-select that audience, let's say the age, the income, the interests, and you ask these people, uh, which one would you buy and why? And then they vote and some of them leave the comment to explain why. And that can give you a really good idea. Because if you just based all your decisions on your subjective opinion, from my experience, it doesn't always end well. <laughs> fair enough, really fair enough. Market needs. Fair enough, so, yeah. yeah that would be my overall approach to product research right now. There's some things to research, like there are some ways to research it through keyword research, like looking specifically on keyword opportunity, how competitive they are, because that's pretty much the currency. If you find keywords that are underutilized, like there's a lot of research, not that much uh, offering, um, you can find some good opportunities that way, but it's a little more complicated. It's hard to explain it in one statement here. Got it. Yeah, obviously, it's just a rough idea of how to start a product on Amazon and where should you be looking at. And thanks for uh, diving deeper and trying to decipher it once again. And uh, yeah, sure. last but not, not least, now we've come uh, full circle. And uh, yeah, can you tell us uh, how you decide to sell your business and uh, uh, what, what, how did the process look like? And uh, is it a completely different uh, endeavor and uh, what kind of problems uh, did you encounter during that time? Yeah, it's a completely separate project and it, it may take a lot of time and energy and it certainly did in my case. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I just used uh, a business broker and I, f I find their service to be worth the money and usually they charge around 10 to 15 percent uh, sometimes less depending on the size of the business so it's always a prorated system so let's say if your business is like a 10 million dollar business then what they charge is much lower um, and it's important to find 
the right broker in my opinion too. Like I started with one and then I had to switch to to the to another one to get what I needed for the business. Um, in my case, the first broker I dealt with, um, and they also give you a lot of advice. It's not like they only list it, just like in real estate world. And if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, they don't care. They help you position that business in the best possible way, for sure. Uh, your books have to be in order. They explain you what exactly needs to be done. They can connect with a bookkeeper who can do it for you uh, in the right way. Uh, so I did hire a bookkeeper because my books were not in order at the time of me deciding to sell it. And it probably took me close to a year from the time I decided I'm going to sell the business to the time I sold it. Not because it was hard, but because there's a lot of preparation you need to do. Um, and one of them is putting uh, your books in order. So my first broker uh, did get me some deals, but what I didn't like about their process is as soon as your business has an offer or only in a letter of intent, so LOI, they call it. As soon as you have an, a letter of uh, intent and as soon as you sign it, that you're fine with that intent, right, to buy, then you're off the market and nobody else can submit bids. Nobody else can offer you uh, anything else that you already have. So you're kind of tied to that buyer. You work with them through the due diligence process and usually it takes around a month for the size of my business, sometimes more. It, with one of the interested parties, it took me close to two months of due diligence. So every day there's back and forth of them asking questions, checking your numbers, checking your Amazon store, uh, trying to find like every little detail about the business just to see if there's no grand misrepresentation, whether it's really going to continue the growth and stuff like that. And very often after that extensive due diligence process, they come back with a, with a lower number. They're like, oh, we found this thing. It's concerning. Mm -hmm. Now we're willing to offer you less. I've never heard of anyone coming back after the due diligence process offering you more. So they always try to make the, the deal sweeter for them. And Imagine yourself being in that position like one and a half, two months later, uh, you're still stuck with the same potential buyer and now they're offering you less. And in my case, it was always um, like every month the business was growing. So every month, if I were to list it later, it would be valued higher because of the sales were going up. I think pandemic worked, worked my uh, advantage. Uh, so you're looking at a much stronger business now and you offered less money for it, you know? So I, I decided eventually after those two attempts with two potential buyers for that first broker, not to sell it for them. And also another reason was, uh, if I were to sell through that broker, they charge 10% flat on both business and inventory, uh, which I felt like it's unfair that I'm losing 10% on any inventory I still have left. And you always have some inventory left with the physical price business. And when you're in that process of selling, you're always second guessing whether you should order more products to ensure you're not out of stock what if this deal doesn't go through then you'll have a problem because going out right. of stock is a big no-no you don't want to go out of stock but if you're like ordering more and you know that you're losing 10 percent of this money it i don't know it just feels not right so the other broker i decided to go with uh does charge a little more they charge 15 percent, but only on the business sale and i feel like they also have a much bigger reach like Overall, they're more famous. I think they have a bigger pool of buyers that they also pre-vet. So they check their funds. They make sure they can actually afford to buy those businesses. And they don't show them businesses they cannot afford to buy. Uh, so whenever you have that interview with somebody, those people are really ready to buy. It's not like they're just shopping around and trying to 
uh, offer you one tenth of what you're trying to sell the business for, right? And yeah, in that case, they don't charge for inventory. Uh, that other broker only charges you on the business sale, which is very good for businesses like mine. In Q4, I had over over 130k sitting in inventory, so it would make a big difference if they charged uh, something from the cost of inventory. Uh, actually, talking about the brokers, you said you found them. So, what, what, where did you find them, and what was the process? Is it easy to find those brokers and to switch them? And you said with one broker that you, when you had your LOI letter of intent, uh, nobody else could see uh, could see your listing. Was it listed right. some, somewhere? What was the yeah yeah? So these brokers platform? are online platforms, right? Just like a marketplace, basically. Um, there are lots of them. Uh, I worked with two personally, so I can give some feedback if someone's interested. I don't want to put some names out there, but I can connect with my broker. Um, it's You can Google, like buy and sell business online. You'll find a lot of them. I'm sure they try to index for those keywords in the Google search engine. Uh, but I found the one I sold my business with through personal recommendations. And that I think that was a good decision because I could talk to the person and learn what are the pros and cons and not not from the actual broker because they would always say only the good things, but from someone who experienced working with them, right? So I found that method to be a smart way to look for brokers. You can also sell it privately. Sometimes you can reach out to a company that's like a private equity firm. Uh, they always buy businesses. So you can even look for those and go direct and not have that commission at all. Uh, but then you're kind of stuck with one buyer anyways. What I liked about my sell, sell, selling process was uh, the multiple bid situation. So there were a few people interested in the business and eventually there were two people competing against each other, which bumped the price a little higher, uh, which I think is very healthy if you're trying to get the most for your business. And if you go straight to a private equity firm, that that's, that's their sole business, buying online businesses or Amazon FBA businesses specifically, then you can't really negotiate that much because you don't offer it to anybody else, basically, right? Yeah, these are my thoughts. So you're kind of narrowing your pool. Yeah, makes sense. So just to sum it all up, you found brokers on the sort of marketplace and anyone can find them by just doing some simple Google searches for, for those yeah, specific keywords. I found them through personal contacts, but if you Google on like if you use Google to find them, you can find a lot of online business brokers. And another positive thing about using brokers, I think, is um, very often they have, at least my broker has a very uh, proven step-by-step -step system that kind of eliminates most of the risks when you're buying or selling a business. So for example, for a buyer, they have this inspection period. So after they send all of the money to the brokerage, it's 100% already, only then your listing's off the market. Okay. Before other people can still look at it, send you offers and stuff like that. So only when they send the entire payment, only then you're. You, you, I think it's uh, it's then sold. Your Before listing sell, go, goes out of the grid, right? So once they people can still find it if they search for it, but mm -hmm. it's it's marked as sold, right? Okay. Uh, so at that point, you're entering into that inspection period. I think it's 14 days, and that inspection period is to protect buyers. They can look through all the information on the business, and it's already in a migration period, so you transfer all the access, uh, you, you kind of transfer operations completely to them, but they can't change anything. 
So you still run the business. But in that period, if they find a grand misrepresentation, they can still walk away from the deal. If they find something that wasn't shown by you as a seller of the business previously, in the documentation you provided uh, that affects the performance of the business or let's say the profits are not there, uh, they can still, uh, having that reason, they can still walk away. So that, that protects them. Uh, and also, uh, what's, what's nice for you, what can protect you as a seller, if a, a deal is pretty big, mine was considered, I'd say, maybe an average or a smaller, I'd say. Uh, so it was all cash up front. But very often, if the deal is pretty big, then you have some kind of profit sharing built in after you transfer the business. Like one of my buddies sold his business for a few million and he has a decent salary for the next two years from the buyer because they, they're interested uh, in buying businesses that would perform well and he's also kind of motivated to support them. Not that it's part of the agreement, but obviously you're in touch with them and you can give them some suggestions, connect them with the right people to keep profits high. So it's a win-win. Right. I've heard about that model and uh, you said it's not included in the deal, but uh, what would make him work for uh, for the buyer to, you know, to get those numbers if you got already all, all the cash? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be discounted if you don't hit, for instance, the target and it will be discounted on the uh, first price that your business was listed? For instance, uh, the buyers bought uh, a business for a million dollars and uh, with with this model uh, he gave uh, he gave only 500,000 and then you work two years to you know kind of get those 500,000 by keeping the promise of getting the sales numbers at certain level right that's in short there are all kinds of deals and it, it can get very creative uh, no one's really limiting you but there's some templates that uh, brokers use because they know it's proven to be working right so in my case it didn't make sense because it's a fairly simple business to operate and it's a fairly small business so if someone's offering me okay i'll give you half of what you want and then we'll pay out pay out the rest in the next three years when somebody else comes in saying oh i'll, I'll give you 10 percent more than you what you want i'll cash up front then i have an option to choose somebody who's offering a better deal for me, right? But if a business is like a 10 million business, usually the pool of candidates to buy is much smaller. And that's when you end up negotiating stuff like that. So you can have, like, let's say they can ask you to remain on board and be involved in the business operations because you know how to run it. And in the meantime, their team would learn from you and slowly transition to run the business without you. Uh, very often it's, um, it's the case if it's a large business. Sometimes, just like one of my friends had the deal, he's not involved at all, but he has a little bit of profit share built in. I don't know what the percentage is exactly, but he'll be getting payments quarterly, I believe, for the next two years, as long as the business is, work, is performing well. So whether it's stable, not much changes, or it's growing, or it's declining, he's still getting that share. So obviously he has that intrinsic motivation to support them and make right. sure it's growing. He's not really doing much. He can just give them some advice, some suggestions to make sure he gets paid more, right? So that's nice. I like that. Uh, but usually it's for bigger businesses. So what I was going to say, brokers usually have those templates built in and they have API connection to your seller account. So if you transfer the seller account to the new owner, the new owner cannot say, oh, it's actually not doing well. I'm not going to pay anything else. Whatever we agreed on for later payments, it's not going to happen. If that's the case and the broker sees that it's unfair, because they held the information there, they'll make uh, the buyer legally pay for whatever he committed to pay, right? So okay. you as a seller is protected that way as well. So I think that there are some benefits to use a broker who is experienced and they have some systems in place like that. 
Thank you. Yeah, that's a very extensive answer. And I'm sure it's, it's going to be useful for someone to know that, that there's a lot of flexibility. How can you structure a deal? And uh, yeah. yeah. So now we're entering a like, small, quick questionnaire that I call Digital Human Blitz. I will ask a short question, but your answer shouldn't be necessarily short. So <laughs> the first one would be, are you ready? Uh, yes. FBA or dropshipping? FBA. Better quality products or higher ad spend? Better quality products. Alibaba and or I'll, DH? I'll okay, okay, okay. Okay, if you, if you want to, yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people uh, look at this business more more like a short term endeavor. So like, oh, I can find a cheaper product, so my margin is going to be higher. I got, I'm going to do that. But what they often miss is it's not just algorithms they work with. And I feel like I'm one of the examples of uh, people who are not maybe the most tech savvy. But what I think I've done well is branding and building that community. And relationships will always beat algorithms. If you have good relationships, people trust you. The brand is strong. And one of the things that you stand out with a physical product is quality. Then overall, I feel like you're aiming for higher, for higher returns and bigger payday if you sell the business than you would have just by looking at saving costs. Uh, so in my case, my product was probably the most expensive, not only on Amazon, but overall in the world. One of the most expensive scratch of maps, if not the most expensive scratch of map. Uh, same with poster frames. Uh, they were one of the most expensive ones, uh, but I could justify the higher price. And let's say if my competition was selling it for 10 to $12, same keywords, but different, different results, different product. Uh, I was selling for like 30, 32, in December even 34. Uh, so people were still paying extra. Uh, and the reason for that, and that kind of allowed me to have healthy margins, is I did go above and beyond in quality, in customer care, uh, in overall customer experience, how much extra value I was given outside of the product itself. Um, yeah, like I feel like long-term, it makes more sense to aim for the quality, aim for the difference. Because uh, if you only compete on the price, it's a very short-term game. Someone else will be, will be able to come in and offer a lower price, especially if you're competing on a platform like Amazon. There's a lot of Chinese sellers. And who do you think is going to be able to make a product for cheaper? You yeah, or for sure, direct cheap. manufacturer? For right? sure. Yeah, so brand building is the way to go. And that's why I said FBA, not dropshipping, because um, FBA you probably refer to like building a brand and having your own fulfillment. Uh, Dropshipping to me is not a proper, like not not a long-term business model. Got it. They're always looking for opportunities, changes all the time. But when you're building a brand, every day you can make it a little stronger, a little better, collect a little more social proof, and eventually you're like, oh, I actually have an asset that everybody wants. Makes sense. Uh, so it's question number three. Uh, I, I know it's a big wag, but still, Alibaba or DHgate? What's DHgate? <laughs> oh, it's good. So Alibaba, it's an. Uh, I think that's there's this, uh, another uh, wholesaler, or I mean supplier, where you can order stuff. So uh, we, we didn't talk a lot about Chinese suppliers, but I think Alibaba right. is one of the biggest ones. I think DHgate is number three or something. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of global sources, but I personally only used Alibaba to find suppliers in China. Um, uh, well, yeah, just because I have experience with Alibaba, I'd say Alibaba. The positives there, you have um, Alibaba trade assurance. 
So as long as your communication happens within the Alibaba platform uh, and your expectations are very clear, you have that spec sheet provided to the manufacturer. If something does go wrong, you're protected. Even if you paid 100% for, for the order, if it arises and there's a problem, you can always file a claim and Alibaba will protect you as a customer in a way. So most likely we'll get the refund. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that process. I'm familiar with that platform. That's why I would say Alibaba. But at the same time, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like there's a lot of competition coming to that space. One of my buddies is actually working on an IT project that's going to potentially overtake uh, Alibaba and be a global solution. Hopefully. Uh, so once, yeah, hopefully. Once it's ready, I think it's going to be a much better overall experience for online entrepreneurs who deal with physical products. Perfect. Sure, it's one when it's done. Uh, yeah, will do. <laughs> Amazon US or Amazon Canada UK marketplace? I'd start with US for most cases. Uh, the reason being is just bigger market. Much bigger yeah, exactly. Much bigger market. Like if you compare my specific products, uh, I was selling for like two to four units a day on average in Canada versus like 25 to 45 a day in the US for the same products. Uh, and also what's nice with Amazon, if you want to sell in North America, uh, once you start selling on, uh, on the US marketplace, Amazon.com, you can agree to have um, what they call NARF, North American Remote Fulfillment, uh, which is basically allowing Amazon to fulfill to Canada and Mexico. Uh, and what they do is they replicate your listing. Uh, they translate it to Spanish in Mexico. Uh, I think they translate it to French in Quebec in Canada. But basically someone in Canada and Mexico can also find your product because your listing is just copied there. And if they do buy there, they have the right expectations. It's not going to be like two-day delivery anymore, but they can buy still from you. Uh, and Amazon will fulfill from the United States. And for you, it's completely hands-off. You don't need to send any inventory to Canada or Mexico. It's just in the U.S. So it makes it easy to take advantage of the entire North American marketplace. And the last one, a little bit personal, but uh, stable salary or jumpy earnings while being an entrepreneur? Being an entrepreneur... Yeah, just because I like the freedom. I like controlling my, my own income. <laughs> Good. And the last one in the, uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, so what's what's up next? What are the plans for the future? Are you have, do, do you have any other projects uh, down the pipeline? Well, what, would you, what are you doing now and what are the future plans, if you don't mind sharing? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty public. I share everything I'm working on. Um, I'm looking for the next uh, opportunity and it's, probably going to be a much longer uh, term opportunity. So not something I'm looking to sell in a couple years, but something I want to scale as much as I possibly can. So I'm potentially looking at more competitive niches. So I do want to remain in e-commerce. I do want to launch another brand because to me, it's the most fun. I enjoy building something from the ground up. Uh, and, but at the same time, I found a lot of people reach out to me for some advice. Uh, some that just think, of Amazon is a good idea to start that business. For them, I'm probably not the best resource uh, just because it's uh, like, I, I feel like my skill set is just best for scaling. Once you're like, okay, I have this brand, I have this, let's say one, two, three products. I want to scale it, make it a much bigger brand and potentially exit or at least build it in a way that it's easy to exit. So it's even attractive to me to hold that okay. business. Uh, so that's where... I see my value and I have a couple of people who work on scaling that I coach personally. And I also um, 
talk to people for free when they're ready to sell the business or they think they should sell it soon, like within a year or two, then I'm happy to advise, share my experience, steer them in the right direction, help them optimize it. That's just me paying back, basically. I don't charge for that. And it's not like I'm doing this every day. It's like once a week, usually somebody reaches out and I'm happy to help them because I was in their position and I benefit benefited greatly from other people just because they kind of liked me. So definitely willing to help there. Um, that's very nice yeah, of that's you. About it. Yeah, that's about it. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Andre, and making it to the uh, episode number two of the Moments in Marketing podcast. Appreciate appreciate for taking time to share your experience of building your brand and business. Now, our guest offered you a gift, and uh, if you'd like to enter the draw, please like and share this episode and tell us about your experience in e-commerce. It could be actually anything. Build a personal store, dropshipping business, or you're starting a new one and stuck somewhere. Please send me a question or share your unique story and we'll pick up two winners. And you'll have two 30-minute sessions where you can ask Andre any questions. Is that right, Andre? It is right. Yes. Willing to pay back for sure. Thank you, Dima. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, also, Andre, if you want to share any useful educational links with me, I'll make sure to link, uh, link that up in the description. And thanks again. And yeah, it was really a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Dima. Yeah, for anyone who wants to see what I'm up to and use any resources I recommend or even talk to me, the easiest way is just to go to andresadlock.com. That's where I kind of summarize everything you may expect from me. So Andre is A-N-D-R-I and then last name S-A-D-L-A-K.com. It'll bring you to everything I have to share. Perfect. And that does it for today. Hope you liked an episode. And if you have any additional questions for me or our guest, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Simply Google my first and last name and you should be able to see profile links. If you liked an episode, please do subscribe to the Moments in Marketing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any other platform of your choice. It's also available on SoundCloud and YouTube. Stay curious.